All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be together, uh, to gather, to hear your word, to worship you, and to seek you in prayer, Lord. We thank you that we can see your power in prayer, and we thank you that we grow closer to you and we fellowship with you in prayer. We pray that uh, you would bless the sermon and give us uh, more of an understanding of how to pray effectively. And we thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today's sermon is titled, Making the Most of Prayer. Um, last week, we looked at uh, how there's so much that God wants to give us in response to prayer, and today we're going to try to take a look at how to make the best use of prayer, of our ability and opportunity to pray. So there's three things that we're going to look at uh, in terms of making the most of prayer. The first one will be uh, making the most of your time to pray, because you know time is limited, and therefore time to pray is limited. The second thing we have to do in order to make the most of prayer is we have to know what to pray for. Because since time is limited, we can only pray for so many things. Um, not only that, but you know we need to be praying according to God's will. So we need to know what to pray for if we want to make the most of prayer. And uh, the third thing we're going to look at is following biblical principles for effective prayer. Because the Bible does teach us how to pray effectively. And it, it offers principles that we need to follow. So those are the three things we're going to look at today. All right, the first one, making the most of time to pray. So again, all time is limited, time to pray is limited, and therefore we have to make the most of our time to pray in order to make the most of the opportunity to pray. So there, there's two things that we have to do in order to make the most of time to pray that I want to look at specifically. The first one is setting aside sufficient time for prayer. You're not going to have much impact through prayer if you hardly set aside any time for it. You could just be praying here and there throughout the day, but you're not going to have much impact through prayer if you don't set aside hardly any time for it. And it's up to you how much time you want to set aside for prayer, and what would be ideal is going to be different for each person. But I'm going to try to give some guidelines to help you um, to be helpful in deciding how much time is the right amount of time to set aside for prayer. So the first thing I want to say is, at a bare minimum, I would say it should be at least 15 minutes a day at a bare minimum. It could be a bit more, a good bit more than 15 minutes a day, but I'm convinced that there's no way that it's less than 15 minutes a day. Like, if you don't even set aside 15 minutes a day for prayer, do you really even set aside time for prayer? Not really. Last week, we looked at how prayer is part of our responsibility as Christians. It's part of our job as Christians. If you go to work and... Um, and there's a part of your job, and you barely work on it eight minutes a day, I don't think you're really doing your job. So first off, I think it, you know, it should be at least 15 minutes a day. Plus, if you're not used to daily time in prayer, starting with 15 minutes a day can be a good way to get the habit established, and then once it's established, you can, you know... Add more to it from there. The 
Martin Luther, at various points in his life, regularly spent hours a day in prayer. Uh, A quote that is kind of well known by him, um, he said, I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. But we looked at, you know, a few sermons ago how, um, you know, Christians are like athletes and the more effort we put in, the more supernaturally empowerment we require, the more uh, spiritual nutrition we need to be sustained. So again, how much time you should spend in prayer is not something that I can tell you, but I can give you some guidelines um, and specifically some things you should be getting to, looking to get out of your daily time in prayer. And that should help you better be able to decide how much time you think is sufficient. Um, So there's three things that you should be looking to get out of your daily time in prayer. And if the time you're setting aside for them, for prayer, isn't enough to plausibly accomplish these three goals, then it's not enough. So the first one is, Uh, You want to have enough time set aside for prayer that you can pray for everything that God wants you to be praying for or everything that you feel like you need to be praying for. There's a bunch of stuff that we each need to pray for and that God wants us to pray for, specific things God wants us to pray for. And if we don't have enough time to pray for them, then we're not setting enough time aside for prayer. The second Uh, thing you want to be getting out of your daily time in prayer is you want to have enough time set aside that you can actually be experiencing spiritual intimacy with God. Uh, We're going to talk about that in more detail next week, but if you don't have enough time set aside for prayer that you can actually be experiencing spiritual, intimate, close connection with God through it, then you know you're going to need more time to set aside for prayer. Because that's one of his goals for you in prayer. And the third thing that we should be getting out of our daily time in prayer is we should get to the point where it's common to see answers to prayer. And if a person isn't seeing regular answers to prayer, it could be something else other than not spending enough time. But um, given how little we pray as modern Christians in America the first thing I would look to is, are you spending sufficient time in prayer each day? Do you have an actual set-aside time for prayer? But those are uh, three things that a person should be getting out of their prayer life, wanting to get out of their prayer life. Um, You know, praying for all that needs prayed for, experiencing intimacy with God, and seeing answered prayer. And if however much time you have set aside for prayer isn't plausibly enough for all, to get those three things, then you need to reconsider how much time you want to spend on prayer each day. So I can't tell you specifically how much time you should be spending in prayer, but hopefully that's helpful. You can use that to help you decide. And after you decide how much you think is an appropriate amount of time for you to be spending in prayer... Uh, you should try it out, and you know you can adjust as necessary. But 
you know, we need to be spending sufficient time in prayer each day. It's something we need to make sure of, something we need to be diligent about. It's not something we can be passive about. And even though we should have set aside time to pray throughout the day, well, not throughout the day, we should have set aside time for prayer each day, we should also be praying throughout the day. You know, it does say to pray without ceasing. We can look at that real quick. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So, you, you know, you should be praying throughout your day, not only during your set aside time with prayer, because God is always with you. So you can pray at any time, and you should. You should take advantage of that, especially because it, you know, it helps to sustain your fellowship with him throughout the day by praying throughout the day. God wants us to pursue intimacy with him, and we need set-aside time for quality time with him in order to do that, but it also helps to sustain that fellowship if we're communicating with God throughout the day. Also, praying throughout the day allows you to have, you know, more things that you can pray for. And that gives room for seeing the power of God more, seeing answered prayer more. So in order, um, you know, to make the most of time to pray, we need to set aside a sufficient amount of time to pray each day, a daily set-aside time for prayer, and we need to be praying throughout the day, praying without ceasing. It doesn't mean praying literally every second of your life, but praying as you go about your day. The second thing we need to do if we want to make the most of prayer, we need to know what to pray for. Knowing what to pray for is important. Uh, it affects how much impact we get from prayer. Some of the things we can pray for are more impactful or more significant than others. So knowing what to pray for is part of making the most of prayer. Not only that, but um, a point that I want us to really see, there are specific things that God wants us to pray for that he communicates to us, like, I want you to pray for this. Like that happens at various point, points in our Christian life. God is going to have specific things that he wants us to pray for at specific times, and he's going to communicate that to us. So knowing what, to, what, what, knowing what we need to pray is important. So there's two places, two ways we learn what we should pray for. Number one is from God's word. So I was going to make a list of all the things the scriptures say we should pray for, but then I'm like, why, why do that? I can just give out homework. I actually made the list and just didn't include it. Uh, but it'd be better for you to study the Bible on your own and make your own list. If you've never done a Bible study on what the Bible says we should pray for, and you've never made your own list of what the Bible says we should pray for, uh, then I would highly recommend you do. And if you have done that, you're exempt from homework for this week. 
Yeah, if, if you've already done your own Bible study and made a list of all the things the Bible says we should pray for, then you don't have to do that homework. But if you've never done that, you should do that. Everyone should do that. Everyone should study the Bible for themselves. Don't just take my word for it. I might leave stuff out. I might miss things. So if you've never done a Bible study um, on your own of just looking um, for all the things the Bible says we pray for and making a list of it we should pray for, uh, I would recommend you do that. The second place we get knowledge of what we should be praying for is from God's Spirit. Let's look at Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So I think there's a number of ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us with the fact that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. One way he does that, he does intercede for us. Um, that might be referring to praying in tongues, and it, it might not be. There's debate about that. Praying in tongues is definitely one way in which the Holy Spirit helps us to know what to pray for. Because when you're praying in tongues, you might not know what it means, but it does mean something. It means something to God. And the Holy Spirit is directing you as you pray in tongues. But it doesn't even stop there. There's other ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us to know what we should pray for. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us very directly about what to pray for. That's a somewhat common Christian experience. You know, last week we watched a video of a testimony um, of the one woman's father got woken up by the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night with a vision about his daughter you know, being murdered, and that was the Holy Spirit telling him to pray for his daughter, that she wouldn't be murdered, and God saved her from that. The Holy Spirit sometimes tells us in very direct ways what to pray for, and we need to be looking for that. You know, sometimes he speaks to us in our spirits, sometimes he just gives us a strong burden to pray for a certain person or a certain thing. Um, some people have even had experiences where they experience physical pain as a sign that God's wanting them to pray for someone else who's having uh, physical pain in that area or who needs healing. But the Holy Spirit, has he directs us for what God wants us to pray for. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be looking for that. We need to learn to recognize when the Holy Spirit is telling us to pray for something. But in order to do that, we need to expect it. We need to expect him to direct us to pray for certain things. We need to be aware, on the lookout. So that's very important. We need to um, learn to receive God's communications to us about what he wants us to pray for. So the third thing I want to look at for making the most of prayer is following biblical principles for effective prayer. Um, I didn't necessarily make a comprehensive list, but I've got seven of them. Uh, seven biblical principles for effective prayer. Uh, the first one is praying in Jesus' name. Uh, let's look at some verses that talk about the power of praying in Jesus' name. 
John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So there's definitely power in praying in Jesus' name. And, you know, last week we looked a, a bit more in detail about what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name means praying by the authority of Jesus, but I think it's also meant to uh, include praying for things on Jesus' behalf or in his interest, praying for the things that he wants us to pray for. Because he has things, God has things that he wants to accomplish in response to prayer, not apart from prayer, because he's more glorified in it. So he has specific things he wants us to pray for. So praying in Jesus' name means praying by the authority of Jesus, but it also means praying for things on his behalf, praying for the things he wants us to pray for, which is a responsibility. Uh, The second uh, principle for effective prayer, having a lifestyle of obedience. Whether or not we have a lifestyle of obedience does affect our prayers. Let's look at Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter is saying that if husbands don't live with their wives in an understanding way and don't show honor to their wives, their prayers will be hindered. Let's also look at Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So I think this one here is specifically talking about uh, when we're living in unrepentant will for a sin, which is, you know, something that's a temptation to fall into from time to time. But that, that should hit hard. If, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. David said this by the Holy Spirit. We need to be living in submission to God and quickly repenting when we sin. Everyone struggles with sin, and that's not going to change anytime soon for most of us. Um... But, you know, it's about repenting. It's about submission. It's about being surrendered to God and choosing to obey him and repenting when we fail. So the key thing is submission, but individual sins can still hinder our prayers, just like uh, Peter said in 1 Peter. 
So if we want to be more effective in prayer, having a lifestyle of obedience is very important for that. But I also want to point out that we shouldn't let the fact that we still struggle with sin keep us from praying. Let's look at James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. I like the opening to that verse. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah struggled with the same things everyone struggles with. But we can't let that keep us from praying. Especially since prayer is one of God's great means for us to overcome sin. The third principle uh, that I want to look at for effective prayer. Praying with faith. Praying with faith is important. Let's look at Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do um, what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown to the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's also look at James uh, 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the first thing I want to talk about in regards to faith is um, to ask a question and then answer the question, what is faith and what is doubt? Because I think sometimes those get misunderstood. What is faith and what is doubt? So faith is a choice, not a feeling. It gets, there's a lot of temptation to believe that faith is a feeling or faith is feeling confident, but faith is a choice. Because faith is the belief that something's going to happen. But beliefs are choices, not feelings. You get to choose what you believe. If you tell me that you want to meet somewhere at 4 p.m., I get to choose whether or not I'm going to believe that you're going to show up on time. If somebody tells me that and I believe that they're going to be half an hour late, I'll also be half an hour late so that I'm not wasting that half an hour. But it's not about whether or not I feel like you're going to be there on time. It's about whether or not I choose to show up on time. I get to choose whether or not I actually expect you to be there on time. That's my choice. What I feel about it means nothing. What I choose about it is what's important. If I choose to show up on time because I think you're going to show up on time, even if I feel like you might not, that's faith. I'm choosing to trust you. What is doubt? Doubt is a lack of that choice. Doubt is not just choosing to believe that you won't show up, but just having a lack of choosing to believe that you will. So if it's Like if we said we're going to meet at 4 p.m. and it's 10 minutes till 4 and I'm still thinking to myself, should I leave now? 
I don't know if they're going to be there on time. I think I might do a load of laundry, but I'm not sure. Should I leave now? I'm doubting. I haven't outright chosen to not trust you, but I haven't chosen to trust you. And that's doubting. So faith is a choice, and doubt is a lack of that choice. Another thing I want us to consider, uh, how should we pray with faith when we're not sure what God's will is? You know, sometimes we're praying for something and we're not totally sure what God's will is in the situation. It's easier to have faith when you know what God's will is, but, you know, sometimes we don't. How should we pray with faith when we don't know what God's will is? So when we don't know what God's will is, we should pray with expectation that God will do what is best. That's how faith acts when praying for something that we don't know whether or not it's God's will. It's having the expectation that God will do what's best. And that type of prayer is acceptable to God. Let's look at Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus and bowed before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He had total faith that Jesus could heal him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus didn't rebuke him for asking or for saying, if you're willing. In a subsequent passage, he did rebuke someone for saying, if you can, but he didn't rebuke them for saying, if you're willing. Even Jesus has prayed this way. Let's look at Luke 22, verses 41 and 42. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So it's obviously not wrong to pray that way, because that's how Jesus prayed sometimes. So that is our model for prayer when we don't know what God's will is. We should pray with great expectation. We should expect that he will do it if he's willing, but we should also expect that whatever he wills is whatever's best, that his will and what's best are synonymous. That's an aspect of having faith, is believing that God's will and what's best are synonymous terms. We also should have high expectations of what God is willing to do. You know, a lot of times we fall into the trap of um, having low expectations of what God is willing to do. Sometimes there's things we want to see done or we would pray for, but we think God probably isn't willing to do that. I don't think God really wants to do that. Maybe, but yeah. And the majority of times, those weak expectations about what God's willing to do aren't coming from any accurate knowledge about his will 
or about what he wants to be done, they're usually just coming from places of doubt in our hearts. So we don't always know what God's will is, but we should have high expectations of God's will. It's, very, it's way too common today to have low expectations of what God's will is, especially in regards to healing. The majority of times, I think, when God doesn't heal, a lot of times we just start out with such little faith to begin with because we're so used to it in America to the idea that God doesn't do anything supernatural. But we're starting out with doubt. And that's a problem. The last thing I want to say about faith is don't let doubt keep you from praying. So even though we shouldn't doubt God when we pray, the scriptures show that sometimes God is gracious in answering our doubtful prayers. Like with the man who... um, had a son who was cruelly oppressed by demons, and, you know, he prayed to Jesus, and he said, I do believe, help my unbelief. He was still struggling with doubt, and Jesus still healed his son. Moreover, you have to find a way to work through your doubt, and prayer is a part of that. You can't just total. you can't quit praying just because you're struggling with doubt. You have to deal with it, you have to work through it, but you can't quit over it, so don't, don't let doubt keep you from praying. Uh, the next prayer, uh, the next uh, principle for effective biblical play, prayer. Praying with thankfulness. So thanksgiving is often connected with prayer in the scriptures and is often commanded with it. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. Ephesians 1:16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue faithfully in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And 1 Timothy 2-1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Can you imagine actually giving thanks for all people, including your boss? It might change your life. <laughs> giving thanks for your college professor who gives too much homework. If you've never noticed it before, it does say to give thanks, to offer thanksgivings on behalf of all people. But God clearly desires that when we pray, we come to him with desire for his blessings, but also with thanksgivings for the blessings he has given us. So I want to talk a little bit about what thankfulness actually is. 
Thankfulness is an attitude and an action. You need both the attitude and the action to have thankfulness. So this is my definition of thankfulness. Thankfulness is realizing that someone did something for you that you didn't deserve or that they didn't have to do. Valuing or appreciating that they did it for you and expressing that appreciation. So it involves recognizing that someone did something for you that they didn't have to. It involves valuing that they did that. And it involves expressing that appreciation. That's what Thanksgiving is. And I, I emphasize that it, it's something that they didn't have to do for you or that you didn't deserve. No one gives thanks for things they deserve or that they're entitled to. Let's look at Luke 17, verse 9. This is a, in the middle of a parable Jesus is saying about how we ought to be humble as servants. But Jesus says in the middle of this parable, And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. If we're not thankful to God, it might be because we don't recognize that he doesn't owe us anything. If we're not thankful for God as we go about our days, we might be entitled. If we have a hard time feeling thankful, there's good odds that we believe God owes us something or the world owes us something or that we don't deserve the hard times we have. But anyways, thankfulness is realizing that someone did something for you that either you didn't deserve or that they didn't have to do, valuing or appreciating that they did it for you and expressing that appreciation. Another thing I was noticing um, as I was studying in preparation for this, Thanksgiving has a lot of benefits to it. Um, and I've listed a few of them. Thanksgiving empowers worship. If you have an attitude of thankfulness, your worship will be better. Your communion with God will be better. Let's look at Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Thanksgiving is also frequently tied in the scriptures to praising God and worshiping him. Some people interpret this verse as kind of giving instruction, um, though I think that's up for interpretation. Uh, but some people interpret as you enter the gates and then the courts. You can't enter the courts without entering the gates because the gate is on the way to the court. So some people interpret this as thanksgiving helps you really enter into an attitude of worship. And I, that's a plausible interpretation. Not only does thanksgiving empower worship, but thanks, thankfulness strengthens our faith. An attitude of thankfulness is an attitude that God has been faithful. And an attitude of the belief that God has been faithful is going to strengthen your faith. Not only that, but thankfulness increases joy. Most people who are thankful are joyful. Thankfulness also leads to inner peace, or helps with inner peace. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So thankfulness leads to inner peace, or helps with inner peace. Thankfulness also honors God. It pleases God. We should value, we should pursue an attitude of thanksgiving, if nothing else, just because it honors God and pleases him. And something I realized um, this week that I didn't realize before while I was studying, an attitude of thanksgiving is edifying to others. This hit me while I was reading 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14 through 18. For if I pray in a ton, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing a praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, or if you give thanks in tons... How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up, is not being edified. And so that kind of hit me, because I, I didn't really think it through before, that this is also talking about giving thanks in tons. He's implying that the other person would have been edified or could have been edified if they were able to hear your thankfulness. He's implying that thankfulness can be edifying to others. Teresa's always telling me about like how Anne Monte, her thankfulness is always building Teresa. Anne Monte is a great example of this. <laughs> Teresa frequently tells me about how her spirit is lifted and her day is brightened because of spending time with Anne Monte and how thankful to God she is. So thanksgiving is edifying to others. Uh, the next biblical principle I want to look at for effective prayer, persevering in prayer. Persevering in prayer is very important. Let's look at Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faithfulness on the earth? A lot of times God doesn't answer our prayer right away as in that day. Actually, a number of times he does. But a number of times he doesn't. And we need to persevere in prayer. Sometimes God wants us to wait on him. There's so many verses, and we don't have time to look at them, but there's so many verses about waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord shows confidence in him. It honors him because it has faith. 
It's a way of relying on him. When we wait on the Lord, we honor God. And persevering in prayer is part of waiting on the Lord. It honors God that even though he doesn't always act immediately, we still consider reliance on him to be our best option. And it often makes it even more clear that he's the one who acted when he does decide to act in response to our prayers, when we persevere in them. The next principle I want to mention about effective prayer is uh, being close to God. I think the closer we are to God, um, I think that strengthens our prayers. I think that means something before God when we're close to him. There are multiple examples uh, of people in Scripture who were close to God, who got to see his power in special ways that people who weren't close to him didn't get to see. But uh, we're running low on time, and I only want to look at two examples today. But the first one is Moses. Moses got to see the power of God in very special ways that most people didn't. And Moses was a man who was close to God. Let's look at... Uh, Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again in the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, uh, would not depart from the tent. But God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was close to God, and Moses' prayers were highly regarded by God. That's very evident throughout the book of Exodus. To me, it almost comes across that God had a special regard for Moses' prayers because he was close to him. And I think that's important. That's important to take into account. Enoch is a, a bit of an, another example of like, uh, how closeness to God, people who are close to God see his power in ways that people who aren't close to him don't see. Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, or he didn't die, for God took him. God took him straight into his presence. But how close we are to God, whether or not we're close to God, intimate with God, I think really does bear an effect on our prayers. Not only that, but intimacy with God is something he desires for us. So it's something we should all be pursuing as Christians. But we'll talk about that in detail next week. Uh, The last principle for effective prayer, having unity in prayer. Unity in prayer is important. Let's look at Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Corporate prayer is an important part of what the church is supposed to have. It's an important part of the life of the church. Uh, It's very clear in Acts that corporate prayer is a part of the pattern of the church. Let's look at some verses from Acts 
that uh, illustrate that. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 12.5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer uh, for him was being made to God by the church. And Acts 14.23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Hopefully it's very clear as one of the main themes in Acts as we go through Acts, that prayer was such a big part of the church in Acts. Private and corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is a big part of God's design for the church. God is glorified through prayer, when, or more glorified, when more people are looking to him to answer it. So that's one reason God wants corporate prayer. But another one that I think is, that I particularly enjoy, God wants us to experience personal fellowship with him and corporate fellowship with him. They're both delights that God wants us to have. They're both different experiences that both have different enjoyable aspects about them. God wants us to experience uh, individual fellowship with him, but also corporate fellowship with him. You know, if you're a father and you have multiple kids, it's very nice to hang out with the individual children as individuals. But if that's all you did and you never hung out with your family as a group, you'd be missing out. So God desires individual prayer and corporate prayer. And unity in prayer is a biblical principle for effectiveness in prayer. So those are uh, the seven principles that I wanted to mention for effective prayer. So in conclusion, every Christian should be seeking to make the most of their prayer life. Prayer is a, a great opportunity that we have, and we should be seeking to make the most of it. Jesus calls us to pray, as we looked at last week, and we're responsible to pray. And we need to seek to make the most of the power and opportunity to pray. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, for this time to come before you, to fellowship with you, and to fellowship with each other. We thank you for worship, and that we can seek you in your power and your face, Lord. We pray that you would bless our time of worship today, and uh, we pray that we would, you would empower us and give us passion to seek you more. We thank you for your grace and amen.